Hello. Hi. This is the anniversary episode of Surviving Gun Violence, The Impact, The Agony, and The Aftermath. I am your host, J.T. Taylor. I have with me today a very prominent guest that I am happy to introduce, Mr. Rick James of the Norfolk Police Department. You see what he was a very instrumental part of Norfolk Police and still is. How you doing, Mr. James? I'm doing marvelous and I was very excited when I received the call from you to be invited to be on your podcast. So I want to say thank you very much for thinking about me. And uh, I think I was more excited than you are about getting the invitation. Well, let's say we both have it on the same road. We want the same things I believe out of this podcast. Um, you know, it's about this epidemic of gun violence. And yes, ma'am. My first question to you, I was told uh, the other day that I needed to be educated um, and, and that I needed not to be so lazy. And I felt very disrespected mm-hmm. because I had said that AR-15s do not belong in our communities and our neighborhoods where our children play. And I was told I was uneducated. I was told um, that, and which I find is true, that they are legal weapons. But there are, my question to you, aren't AR-15s used mostly in wars? You know, you are absolutely right. And I think that uh, what the person that was talking to you about was using what we call a play on words. The AR-15 rifle is considered under Virginia law and laws of many other states as just simply being a rifle. And the reason why they call it a rifle is because it is a semi-automatic weapon. The only difference between an AR-15 and a military type assault rifle is that it has a switch on it that would go from semi-automatic to automatic. That is the only difference. Everything else is the same. And I wanna say something else. Just because it's a semi-automatic weapon, it can shoot as fast as you pull your finger, maybe two or 300 rounds a minute. Secondly, it used the exact same round that's a high velocity round that is used during war. It has no place for hunting. I don't know anybody that use it as a hunting rifle. It is made to kill human beings. And that is the only use in the attention of the AR-15 rifle. Thank you for clarifying that for me because I feel that it is an insult upon injury of especially of the people of Uvalde, where their children were cut up by these guns, by this particular gun. And no, I, me, myself personally, 
I don't want that type of weapon to be allowed in the neighborhoods, the communities, or in civilization. I, I really want some, I would like to have some restrictions, regulations, and um, rules to be placed on these specific, those, all weapons, but those specifically. If it can happen there, it can happen anyway. And this is what, you know, we want to prevent. Now, I asked you um, once, what was your take on how do you think we can weed out uh, the open and concealed weapon uh, carry? That's an, I'm sorry, there's another uh, very, very interesting question. Um, you know, we are, in Virginia, we have the General Assembly that makes up the rules dealing with uh, our firearms. There's federal regulations that deal with firearms, and then there's state regulations that deal with firearms. If we want to make changes uh, to what type of firearms a person can carry uh, and under what circumstances a person can carry, that is going to be uh, the decision made on our General Assembly, which is in Virginia, we have our uh, Senate and our House of Delegates. And so that is one of the reasons why the citizens have to get very much involved in voting to determine which members or representatives we want to send to Richmond to make those decisions on uh, what type of weapons we want in the state of Virginia. Uh, as of right now, uh, as you know, the assault type weapons are, are legal for certain people who have not been convicted of a felony or who uh, does, does not have any mental illnesses or a person who is not uh, under investigation for a domestic assault. Now, I had mentioned to you my feelings about opening concealed carry. And I liked uh, the cool down process. I never thought of it as being the cool down process before. But I think it's more than just a Band-Aid. I think it, um, if you were to not take people's guns, but take the open and conceal weapon carry, open carry away, that there would be less guns I mean, a person, a, a responsible gun owner, wouldn't mind to put my gun up, put my gun away, and help. What What do you What would you call it? The government, uh, our city, to weed out who doesn't supposed to have a gun. I was talking earlier with Linda. If there were regulations, um, registration, and um, what's my other word? <laughs> um, regulations, reg registrations, and we need conditions. Everything has to, has to have restrictions on them. Yes, ma'am. You know, one of the challenges for those people who want to limit the access to uh, guns is um, 
the Second Amendment in the United States Constitution. You know, if I can, if you give me a couple of seconds to talk about a little bit of the history uh, of the United States of America, you know, we were separated from uh, separating from Great Britain uh, when we did our Declaration of Independence, and uh, Great Britain wanted to take away some of the firearms that we uh, had as farmers and the like uh, to protect for for personal protection. And so uh, the founding fathers decided to put in a second amendment that give uh, all Americans the right to bear arms. Uh, but they start off the second amendment with the, the wording of a well-regulated militia. And so what that means is that, that our society can create certain regulations and rules for those who want to carry a firearm. And those regulations and rules can be, again, if you're convicted of certain crimes, if you have certain uh, 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 mental illnesses and other conditions that is deemed reasonable, that you can put those conditions on persons of who can carry a firearm and where they can carry a firearm. Now, of course, when it comes down to the constitution again, we also have the, what we call the 10th amendment, which gives states certain rights to put other restrictions uh, on the citizens of their individual states that only apply to that particular state. And then that goes back to where it's important for us to register to vote, to make sure that we send out the right representatives to Richmond, Virginia to represent us and to put in the most um, beneficial uh, gun laws that will protect uh, citizens uh, on two ways, protect our rights to be able to carry firearms and to protect us from uh, harmful people who are gonna carry those firearms also. And if you don't mind, I wanna go back to the assault rifle or the AR-15. Another thing that concerns me about the assault rifles in an urban set setting is once you pull that trigger, that round can travel over a mile away and still kill someone. And so that is very, very dangerous in an urban setting. So um, I believe that a, a good attorney general can make a good argument on what weapons should be carried by citizens and what weapons should not be uh, carried by, by citizens. You're also running for something at this election are uh, coming also, aren't you? Yes, yes, ma'am. I'm, I'm running for uh, the House of Delegates for the 95th District, which includes uh, parts of Norfolk and the parts of Virginia Beach. And, you know, as a, a representative, I clearly understand that um, my job would be the voice of the people. It is not my, my job necessarily to say, I know what's best for you and you need to listen to me because I'm your elected official. That's not my job. My job is to listen to those conversations that you are having and other folks are having in the community to bring your concerns up to Richmond and take those concerns and turn them into statutes and laws that will govern the state of Virginia. That is my job is to listen to the people, go up to Richmond and tell them and represent them during the General Assembly of what laws we want to govern our locality. And that's a very, very important. Uh, I think some people who get elected to office think that their job is to tell the people what's best for them and not to listen uh, to the people who knows what's best for them. I like the way you said that, I, I, you know. <laughs> You know, yeah, people need to listen to people. You know, um, they stop shooting the messenger, you know. Yes. 
our messenger is only displaying the message that we the people want to be heard um but yeah I, I was speaking on you know you asked me how did I feel about the um how guns should be done and I asked and I told you I think they should be <coughs> excuse me left at home and that um if two people had a confrontation Mm-hmm. And your gun is at home. <clears throat> it could be a rock right there beside you. That's that's something that will hurt, harm, and danger a person as well. But you decide not to instantly pick up that rock, but go home to get your weapon. Because you know that is lethal. And if you come back, and that person still there, both of y'all wrong. Because, look, somebody should have had some common sense in the matter, don't you think? I ain't yes, waiting here for him. Uh, or I ain't going to mess with that net, you know? But, however, um, when it comes to common sense, that's all I'm saying. Put a, Don't put a Band-Aid on what's hurting our communities, our neighborhoods. Let's come out. I'm just asking, why is it a problem to come out with common sense ethics? Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, and so, um, the, the, again, the challenge is going to be that there are certain citizens uh, within the state that says that the United States Constitution, primarily the Second Offend, uh, Amendment, uh, protects their individual rights to to bear arms. And then um, there's been several challenges in court that um, that will uh, override certain restrictions for certain people to uh, carry firearms. As you know, that the uh, NRA or the National Rifle Association is a large lobbying group that um, makes their money on selling firearms. I, I, I think some of the, the, the numbers I've heard that in the United States of America, there's enough firearms on the street for every citizen to have three of them. Um, and so the question is, do we need a country that uh, has three firearms for every uh, citizen? Uh, I, I, my answer is, is personally is, is, is no. And, and, and of course, you know, I'm a veteran of the armed forces and I was a combat medic, so I know what those uh, types of firearms will will do to a a, a human being, and so uh, it's, it's very important for us to continue these conversations. Make sure we talk to our legislators, uh, get all the information uh, that we can get as possible, and make some reasonable uh, uh, laws that's going to protect uh, citizens and our and our future future uh, uh, citizens from gun violence. That's right, Mr. Uh, James. Now, when I was speaking to you about common sense versus street sense versus book sense, how did you, how do you um, how would you say that plays with our legislations as well as the people that don't understand that no one wants to take their weapon? It's just mm -hmm to put more 
restrictions and regulations on weapons, just as if it was a gun, a car. You have a drunk man that's that's driving down the street, went out for his birthday, got drunk, hit a car or hit a pedestrian, didn't intend it. It was an accident. This man has lost his license, his job. He has lost all his livelihood and and paid a big fine. He broke, probably lost his family now. Homeless. And here we have a person with a gun that intentionally, intentionally, intentionally points aim to kill you. But these people, some are still on the street because they haven't been caught. And we'll talk about that here soon. And um, where does the common sense versus street sense versus book sense fit in? Yeah. Yeah, you know, um, it's going to take uh, conversations with, with everybody. You know, you have to get uh, law enforcement at the table and talk about what their concerns are about certain uh, firearms and re and uh, regulations, because I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. If, if you don't believe me, look at the video from the last shooting we had down in Texas. Those police officers that was responding to that scene, and once they got into the building, they was very concerned about that assault rifle that that young man was carrying. If you don't believe me, look at the video and watch them retreat when they heard the fire because they know what that weapon could do. And they also know that their bulletproof vest is useless against an assault type weapon like he was carrying. So if the fire, if law enforcement are afraid of those assault rifles, what about everyday citizens? Should they be afraid also of the assault rifles? The, the simple answer is yes, they, they, they should be. And if most police officers, if they, was, if they was honest with you, when they go to a call where a person has one of those AR-15s, they're concerned because they can't carry the type of bulletproof vest that's going to protect them from that assault-type rifle. Now, the a regular bulletproof vest that a, a police officer carry or a law enforcement officer carry, um, if, if, the, if a suspect has a handgun, the, the, the bulletproof vest will protect them from a direct hit from a, 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 a handgun. It will not protect them from a direct hit from a, an AR-15 or one of those military type assault rifles. And in most cases, those rounds will go, go right straight through a car door with no problem at all. And so it's very, very dangerous. Um, and on top of that, the range is so much further uh, a, a police officer can be killed before they can get into range to even defend themselves against someone with an assault rifle because they're too close. I mean, they can hit them almost a half a mile away. And so uh, police officers do not want to come across uh, a person with an assault type rifle. It is a very, very uh, dangerous situation. Now, again, now you're going to find some citizen groups that will select their elected official to protect their rights to carry a military style um, assault rifle with no questions asked. Um, I think one of the concerns that, that was being sought after in the state of Virginia was just to raise the age limit to just 
21 years old to uh, buy an assault rifle. And, and I don't think that was successful because of the pushback that was given by other citizens. Now, I want to re remind you that in our country and in, in the state of Virginia, you know, the legislators are the voice of the people. And so the people with the loudest voices are the ones that are telling their elected officials to take your hands off uh, any regulations for those assault type rifles. I want to also recall that there was a, uh, some pushback at one time when uh, to restrict how many rounds you can carry because those assault rifles can carry a 20 round clip, 30 round clip or a 150 round drum. I don't know if you're gonna use that to go hunting 150 rounds. Um, there's only one uh, purpose for that particular uh, assault rifle and that is to kill human beings. It's not a defensive weapon, it's an offensive weapon. That's why I talk about the common sense, the book sense, the street sense, and the book sense. A lot of representatives of um, these voices, as you say, don't have common sense, don't know nothing about the street. They got plenty of book sense, but without the first two, that book sense doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, I usually. I ask a question uh, to when we're talking about reasonable gun legislation. I ask a question to um, some of the adversaries of reasonable gun legislation. And the question I ask is that would you take your family on vacation to a country that had no regulation of firearms? And there's a whole lot of them out there. None of them I would take my country to, my, my family to, because it's very dangerous. It's very dangerous. It's, it's not even an easy feeling when you get off the plane at a foreign country and you see people walking around with assault rifle rifles strapped across their, their chest. Right. Th that's an uncomfortable feeling um, because if, if, if things go bad quick, you're in trouble. And there's really not too many places you can, you can hide. Look at the last shooting. Where the little boy, the father, barricaded his son and took on the bullets. The mother and the father was killed in that, uh, was it a shopping mall? And the little boy now has no family. I'm looking at how these children, babies, have been shot because of hatred. Because somebody don't like somebody else. Oh, well, get over it. You know, we yeah. need, we are adults. We are grown up and we're raising our children for tomorrow. To be better citizens tomorrow. Yes, ma'am. And, you know, um, also I want to add to the conversation is we can't forget that uh, we all need to learn conflict resolution. Uh, I mean, that's something we all need to learn, no matter what age you are, whether you are a small child on the playground, or uh, a teenager, you know, at the baseball stadium, or an adult going on through our everyday lives or driving down the street. We all need to learn conflict resolution because as human beings, we're going to have disagreements. And then we have to learn how to deal with other human beings when we disagree without 
um, being uh, angry toward each other. Uh, some of our elected officials take some of the blame for that because I have never seen more angry elected officials in my life where they're, you wouldn't believe this if I told you, but some of them will even go on TV carrying assault rifles um, and talking about blowing things up or or fighting or, or using fighting words. And, and I think, I'm sure they know it, but our youth and our children are listening to I'm their watching. behaviors and they think that it's okay to behave the same way when they're talking to their neighbors. And then you have a situation where someone's gonna, if they have a gun on them, someone's gonna intercede with a weapon and bring that weapon into a conversation. And then you have a very, very dangerous situation that happens that we're gonna regret uh, when we wake up in the morning. Our future, our tomorrows are watching. And we, we as adults, we as people, if you see something, do something. You know something, say something. If you see a person, even with the pants hanging, and I love the boys, you know, I walk up to him and I ask him, what you doing with your pants hanging? Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot my belt. I know he's lying, but they give me enough respect, they put him up. Because I respected him enough to talk to him. You cannot talk about these children, these young men and women that are making bad choices and bad decisions. We have to come up and talk to them. We have to change the narrative. The use of everybody slamming them and talking them about them. But how many actually take the time to talk to them, with them, get their understanding, and try to give them your understanding? We have to save our youth. We have to yes. save our future. Yes, ma'am, I, I agree. And I'm, I'm going to say something. It's not going to be real popular to us men. And let me take a deep breath first. You know, if you go back in history, as far as you want to go back, ladies have always been there for their children. And they've always given their last breath for the benefit of their children. And the men in the population has fallen short of their responsibilities. And so we, I'll be remiss if I didn't bring up the fact that the men in our society need to step up to the plate and do their job of being good fathers to their sons and their daughters. Because there is another person that if you interject into the picture, that when you see a young man having a disagreement with another young man, if the fathers who understood conflict res resolution would get involved in that and teach them how to be a young man and how violence doesn't make you a man, that will eliminate a lot of problems too. And so, um, and when I, every opportunity that I have to talk to another man, including my two sons that are fathers now, that they have a huge responsibility in how our society is gonna look. And so, and so I challenge uh, the men and the fathers to step up to the plate and do their job as fathers to protect our community 
and protect our, our citizens and our children. And I want to also say this. Most of the time when you see uh, our youth taking matters into their own hands is because of their fathers are not there to handle those situations for them in a respectful and honorable way. So they decide to take the matters in their own hands and with their immature minds, they make the wrong decision. I, I wouldn't take too much important advice from a, a, a young person because they still have a lot of life and growth to do, but they're making life and death decisions at 16 and 17 year old. And so, um, you know, us men, we got to do a better job. If, if we can do half the job that women have done for their families, the world be a better place. Well, you know, there's always that unk, that unk that was on the corner that was growing up when your child was a little boy. And they're still on that same corner now that your child, your son is a grown man. And that unk gives your children bad advice. Bad advice. And your children follows what unk says. No, we do need fathers. We need mothers as well. But we have to look at the at the past also, Mr. James, when our men was taken from their families. And our men are still being taken from their families. And these mothers are left to raise these children because they have no other choice. And then when these fathers come out, Come, the line of them come back out. They ain't right. Mothers don't, the, the women don't want you no more because you ain't right. We have to stop the narrative before it happens. We have to stop all of this before it happens. We have to talk to one another and give each other's opinions and their thoughts. And let it sink through. No one has right or wrong, but we all know our, our past. We can't keep looking in the rearview mirror. But we remember what we know. And we change going forward. Yeah. Can I, share, can I share a story with you? You sure may. And most people don't know this story. Uh, but... Um, you know, I'm the youngest of six children in my family. And uh, my mother sacrificed a lot for, for us. I mean, and I really didn't understand how much she sacrificed for the six children until I really became an adult. And, um, and I met my father for the very first time, you know, when I turned 40 years old. Wow. And... Um, it, it was not a, 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 it was very, it was an unusual situation because here I am, a young man raised in the United States of America and had an opportunity to see my father for the first time when I turned 40 years old. And, and I'd be lying to you if I didn't say it didn't have a direct effect on my family and my, my, my siblings, my, my brothers and sisters. And I believe that my mother would have lived to a rightful old age if she didn't have to raise six children by herself. And I, so I have an 
utmost respect for mothers and what they have to go through to raise their children. Um, it was tough. It was tough on my brothers and, and my brothers and I. Um, my oldest brother had to take on the role as father and mentor and leader of the family, which that was unfair to him. I mean, because he was just a teenager. Um, he ended up leaving school to take help take care of the family. And so what does that do for his future and his children? And so all those things happen uh, because our father wasn't there. Our lives would have been totally different if he would just been there. And and if you ask children, they don't they don't they want a whole lot of money and cash and all this. They just want time. Yeah. They just want time and to feel loved and 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 to learn uh, from those things. And so and you're right. We do have we have uncles and 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 the like, but they're not really your uncle though. But I, I'm just using that terminology about that aunt that was on that same corner when you were just a toddler. Yeah. And but and you know what I know you're talking about, and you know, the, the uncle that you're talking about that wasn't the family, for me his name was Henry Frank. Yeah. You know, and I remember Henry, I remember Henry Frank. And 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 although Henry Frank he drank and did certain things, one of the things he said to me is don't end up like me. That was his wish. He wanted me to grow up and, and, and try to live the American dream. And, and, and you know, although he, he was, the example he was setting for me wasn't the best example, but he was trying to tell me and use his experience as something not to do. And I so, as a, right, and as a young man, I, I, I appreciate that because he was concerned about, about my future. And so, and he knew our situation and our situation was similar Similar to everybody else's. We were all in the same boat. You know, and, and so. Your mother. I applaud your mother for struggling with six children. My mother had six children as well. And my father, he wasn't there, but I knew him all my life. Both of them, I'm an orphan. Both of them are gone now. But like I said, it's still. Mothers give us choices. And they allow us to make the choice. You, look at you. And I know your mother is smiling. On all of you. Good, bad, or indifferent. All mothers are going to smile on their children. Whether they're good, bad, or indifferent. They always say, well, somebody got to do it. So I did it. I lost my son. Back in 2004. Because... Pop place didn't think, felt like he was making too much money. And he acted that. That's what they said. He had to die. So they set my son up to get robbed and killed. I did the best I could as a single mother, raising my child. But he still had choices. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to lie to anyone about what he did because he was still a good person. I raised a good man with good sense, kind man that was very loving to everyone. This show basically was based off of the fact of me and what I went through and still go through after 18 years 
I'm not sending you gone. The pain is real. It will always be here. It's not going anywhere. And I'm going to fight for every soul on these streets. Because right is right. Wrong is wrong. Right is right. And we have to, we, we know what's right and what's wrong, Mr. James. I remember when you and um, Charles Home cleaned up the communities. It's a lot of things you stopped and can still be done now. And it wasn't a lot of uh, tit for tat or murders. This stuff wasn't thought of. People need to use more common sense than book sense. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And can I share something with you? And I, I wish the city of Norfolk can somehow do a better job at it. Is, you know, um, when I got out of the military and 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 my uh, veterans advisor asked me to take the test to be a police officer and, and, you know, and I passed the test. Back then the chief of police did one thing that I thought he would never do. When I got my badge on, he put me back in the neighborhood I was raised in. And I thought he was gonna put me somewhere else. I said, he's never gonna put me back in Lammers Point. Not where I was raised, he's not gonna do that. And he looked at me and says, Rick, you're going to Lammers Point. And it's probably the best thing he could have did because when I went back to the community I was raised in, yeah. I had trust in the first day. And no one never, no one called me officer. They just called me Rick. They, just, they didn't call me officer. They said, hey, Rick, glad you're here. Yeah. And so yeah. we, somehow we have a lot of great young people in our communities that can do an awesome job of protecting the community and reducing violence because they know everything. They know the good people and they know the people who, do, who have challenges. And I know for me, when I came across some of the people that everybody else thought that was very, very dangerous, I would come up to them and go, hey, how you doing? And letting them know, hey, you know, we got a warrant for your arrest. What did I do? I said, I'm not sure what you did, but let's go, let's go, take, let's go take care of this. I'm gonna make sure you treat it right. And we're gonna get to the bottom of this. And by the way, you know, you also, if I was you, I would get you a lawyer and have your lawyer come there and, you know, and you have the right to make, to be silent and not say anything, but we need to go ahead and get this paperwork taken care of and just be honest with them. Give them a fair shake. Uh, there's, I very rarely had to put out, pull out my gun and shoot anybody because the person wasn't really a threat to me because right. I knew them, they was from my community. And I, I, I knew who they were. Uh, you. Right. And so we have to do a better job of getting young folks who are in our community and uh, give them an opportunity to take on that responsibility of being a law enforcement officer or a fireman or whatever it is. It's an honorable job. And all you got to do is treat people like you want to be treated. And then people, particularly those who you know in your community, will give you that mutual respect back because they know even though they may have did something wrong, you're going to treat them fairly. 
And that's very important to the community because that's where you get mistrust in the police is because they feel like the police or the law enforcement department is not gonna treat them fairly. Now, I know some of the arguments is that, is that we don't have enough people or they're not qualified. That is not true. Uh, I just think we have to change the culture of law enforcement to where young people would, would be more happy about taking on uh, that particular job. I can be honest, I'm gonna tell you right now, it doesn't pay a whole lot of money, you're not gonna be rich. But one of the things that law enforcement does do is that when you're raising a family, it would give you enough money for you can have raise a decent family in a decent neighborhood. Your children is gonna have some of the best health care that they need, and that's important for families too. Um, and then you can live the American dream. You can do other things. You can get your education and you can do a very important job of serving and protecting your community. It's a very honorable job. And I was very, very proud of being a police officer. And I wanted to make sure that I treated everybody with respect. Uh, and then they gave me the same mutual respect. And I appreciate that. That's the most important part. Be, be the way how you carried yourself and the respect you gave was the respect you got and 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 and, and vice versa the respect that was given you gave it back and that's beautiful that's that's the most important thing Nick, can before we before we get too far along um and i would i was saying i wanted to ask you about these cold cases yes ma'am um, you know, I lost my nephew, my, my godson, last year in June, Derek Roundtree. And then there's Carissa, um, uh, Carissa Edmonds. She lost her son, um, I can't think his name right But she wants her, her son. Christopher Edmonds. Yeah, Christopher Yeah, Edmonds. we had that episode and we had her on. Is it Cherie? Is that her name? No, um, Edwards. I'm sorry. What's her first name? Caressa. Caressa. Okay. Caressa. And she, um, her son's murder. She, he was 15 years old. Back in July. No, it was before July. I think it was June. It was June. And, you know, she still wants closure. Right. Then you have, it's so many, I, I, I have so many names here. So many people that, the young man, the first of the year, right here at Park Avenue and Princess Anne Road. That, I mean, that was devastating for a lot of people. Uh, we just had two shootings out in Norville. Uh, where the two young men were walking down the street. One died instantly. The other one just died in the hospital a day or so ago. You, you, you're familiar with that? I, I am familiar with that. Yeah, and... Yeah, I want to share something with you from 
you know, I, I was an investigator back in the 1980s and, and, and uh, DNA and all that technology uh, that we have today didn't exist. In fact, you know, we were just getting cell phones at that time. But one of the things that we learned in, in law enforcement and in forensic science is that particularly with cold cases, it's very, very important to preserve the evidence that you have when you come across and, and you, the case become cold where you don't have any other evidence. So it's important to save and preserve the evidence as best as possible, which the, the detective division and forensic science department in Norfolk does a great job at it. Because as young investigators back then, we knew that the technology in the future would give us an opportunity to discover who did this crime. And so some, of the, and, and, and faster too, because I want to recall that in the past, we used to do uh, fingerprint examinations when you lift off latent prints, uh, someone would have to examine those prints with the human eye and compare them. You, you may can only compare maybe 20, 20 an hour. Whereas with te technology today, today, you can compare millions in minutes across the United States of America. Same thing with blood splatter and, and DNA and and uh, in the past, if you had a, a string of hair, all you had was a string of hair. There's nothing you can do with it. But if, if the, the police department has preserved those small strings of hair, today's technology with DNA, the DNA can tell you the race, nationality, color of their eyes, how tall they were, and basically what they look like today. So those are the things that... Um, uh, forensic science and technology can do with giving families closures to cold case uh, files. Here's one of the problems. It takes time. And the investigators today are dealing with the what's before them at hand right now that they don't have the time to go back to deal with those cold case files. Some law enforcement departments um, hire retired detectives to come back to only work on cold case files, resubmit blood samples, uh, DNA samples, or hair follicles uh, to the forensic science department to see if you can get some uh, more uh, information that can help solve a particular crime. It is happening every single day. And what I suspect is that the technology and forensic science is getting better uh, by the day. That's gonna be a game changer in law enforcement uh, using uh, technology and forensic science to uh, solve cases, just like we do with the automobile and stuff. Now you have, from what I understand, you got cars that can drive itself now, um, where it's the same thing with law enforcement and technology. You're going to probably see more technology being used in law enforcement. It wouldn't surprise me if you have some type of um, um, robot type police officers in the future where you don't have to worry about uh, putting someone to death, um, uh, going into a dangerous situation. In the past, when it's very dangerous, you sent in the dogs, right? The canine, and and some unfortunately, sometimes the canine took the bill, the bullet to take down the bad guy. Uh, now, you know, there's it's not uncommon for certain departments to have robots to go in those very very dangerous situations. The military use them also. Um, of course, you know, with GPS, uh, uh, tracking, and all those other things. Uh, it's going to be very, very important. So I'm going. You're going to see technology get more involved. I think that technology is going to also help us with gun violence. How I don't know right now, 
But in the past, in the future, I do see that technology is going to be a game changer with helping us in reducing some of the, 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 the gang and gun violence. You know, the police have to stop being reactive and waiting for a dead man to hit the ground before they do something. We have to uh, uh, be more proactive and do our best to try to stop yeah. violence, prevent violence before it happens. And sometimes you just got to go back to the old ways we used to do things and just walk the beat, talk to our neighbors, find out what's going on. Because I'm gonna tell you something, when I was a kid, if there's a fight about to happen, everybody in the neighborhood knew about it before it happened. Right. And that's when, the, by the time the kids get start getting in a circle and get ready to start fighting, the parents already knew about it and they were there and they, the parents were the one broke it up before it happened. Now, it seems like we're getting slower and you, you know, the police won't hear about anything until someone is, cold on the street, you know, and, and uh, there's a whole lot of things that, that causes that to happen. I, I mean, I hear neighbors saying they can call 911 and no one's answering the phone because of shortages. And so, um, Ms. Janice, we have a lot of work to do and it's gonna take people like you to make sure it's done. And so uh, uh, God bless you for the things that you do and the tenacity that you have to make this world a better place. The unfortunate part is that you paid a awesome price in losing your son. And nobody should experience that. Nobody should experience that. A mother should not have to bury her child. Not in the United States, not anywhere. And not here in Norfolk, Virginia. I sure would love to see what he looked like right about then. I want to see how great he would be and how big his belly was. Because he was funny. He was a doll baby. And um, I just hold on to the good memories. Yes, And every now and then when I'm in the bed, I think about the pain that he endured. You know, what was it like for him? Um, on that cold, rainy night, I, 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 I think about, and which I'm sure most mothers who lost their children wonder and, and feel what, what, what happened. How did he feel? Was, is he all right? Even now, is she all right? We know, like you said, as mothers, we go through a lot. You do. But we, we're going to try to make it better for the next one. Yeah. I couldn't save my son. And I pray I can save or help save someone's child. Yeah. I hope someone listening will understand common sense versus street mm. sense versus book sense. All three of them together, you are a terrible person. You awesome. But if you just got that book sense alone and don't don't have the common sense God first gave you. And the street sense you learn from your friends, family and growing up, you a lost soul. You can't do books alone. 
There's no specialty in book sense. I tell that to anybody. I'm not. What's a thug? Can you tell me what a thug is? You know, I, I can tell you this. Um, I've heard that word several times. Uh, I never aspired to be called one. Uh, but to me, if I had to put a definition on it, it is someone who inspires to be or inspires to have fortune and fame at any cost. Well, that's what the man that told me that I needed education and um, I was lazy. He said the ones that were around here doing the killings are the thugs. And I asked him to give me a definition of his definition of what a thug was. And he told me, you lazy and you need to educate yourself. Well, I'm, I, the facts disagree with that man that gave you that information because there's no necessarily job, age description on people who are dying at the hands of another person because they lack conflict resolution. The facts disagree. The fact of the matter is that guns don't know any color, race, or nationality or education level. It can be two professionals out at night having fun and having a disagreement and one has a, a gun and shoot and kill the other one. Happens all the time. All the time. But you know what makes the news? Those who live in social nope. economically depressed neighborhoods and for most of the teenagers at no fault of their own. And unfortunately, very few people care because they say it is not in their backyard. But the fact of the matter, it affects everybody. It affects our school system. It affects our housing. It affects the education. It affects our churches. It affects our playgrounds. It, children can't be children. They're suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. And as soon as, in, until everybody understands that it affects everybody, it's going to take people like you, Miss Janice, to continue to do the things that you do to make a difference. And you know what? I'm going to be right there beside you. Thank you, Mr. James. You know, it, I've had nothing but a pleasure of, of talking with you. And I will, can, can, I, can I invite you back again? Will you come again? I would be very disappointed if you didn't. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So I'm going to say this is surviving gun violence, the impact, the agony, the aftermath with my guest, Mr. Rick James. It was so nice having you. Have a blessed evening.